Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Choi. And coming up on today's show, Sunny's guest is Lisa Bradshaw, a mother, cancer survivor, widow, storyteller, and founder of the Don't Wait Project. Join them not to only hear Lisa's incredible story, but also learn how to purposely move in the direction of living your own don't wait life, no matter the obstacles. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan. We're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access the show archives. You can find those at 1150 kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. And uh, my website is Golden Oversoul. That is goldenoversoul.com. Um, so, Benny, how are you doing this morning? Before we bring the guest on, I would love to do a check in with you. I'm doing awesome, Sonny. It was so good to see you. For those that didn't really know or before the show, because <laughs> you won't, because you're not on the air with us yet, but we are <laughs> zooming officially with cameras. I am. <laughs> Yeah. And we will eventually get you to do it. <laughs> I know. Well, I, it's funny because we're like I was saying before we went on the air, I'm such a creature of habit. And so we usually do Skype audio only. But of course, everything has moved to Zoom. I do everything on yeah. Zoom as, as everybody sure. has for the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was using it before the pandemic, but now particularly it's increased. And so it's just so funny. It's an option for connecting with Benny in the studio and I haven't. And today I've got the camera on and I can see Benny back in my home studio in Seattle. Well, it's I so missed fun. you so much. and I know you miss the studio. So I would do a virtual d- a tour for you. I could just spin the <laughs> camera around for you. You could get like a lay of the land and everyone there every, watching if they really, really wanted to. Uh, but yeah. And, and of course you were in town not too long ago and we missed you also, but you know, we're staying safe. We got to do, we got to do what we got to do. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just figured let's Let's just do it as well. Let's get you on the old camera. So. Oh, well, I appreciate it. So maybe sure. we'll be moving more towards Zoom and we can, you know, I guess I forgot because is it still people can watch as well as listen on the live feed through the website? Is that correct? It, depending on your show, show status. Yeah. yeah. And we also have, um, you know, your other market to uh, chat with, so to speak. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so, so I guess then. Diff- if depending on the show, anyone who's listening to KKW or even KPCA, you can turn in and watch Benny in Seattle. Right. So basically, <laughs> we'll have our attorneys uh, do the paperwork <laughs> on that. Oh, wait, you are one. So that makes it easier, too. <laughs> Let me make it quite clear that yeah. I am not practicing these days. I do maintain True. my license, but uh, yeah, thank goodness I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> Oh, well, okay, Vinny, good to see you and good to check in. We will keep moving on to our fabulous guest today. Um, This is another one of those serendipitous connections that came together. Um, I was not aware of Lisa Bradshaw's work up until very recently, and we have a mutual friend in common, which um, I just realized I need to figure out. Um, <laughs> how they connected originally, but I guess that's a conversation for off air one of these days. Anyway, um, I was made aware of Lisa Bradshaw's work and her story was so compelling from the get. And I just thought this is such a fabulous opportunity to get to share her work. And I think particularly timely, which for reasons we can go into um, once we bring her on, but um, this the, the the Don't Wait project that she founded is something that I think we all definitely after 2020 can give some serious thought to um, living our Don't Wait lives. So let me just give you her bio. We'll bring her on to talk about all these wonderful things she's created. Um, Lisa Bradshaw is a mother, a widow, a 24-year cancer survivor, an author, a TEDx speaker, and a songwriter. Lisa has built a career as a storyteller by seeking the balance between what she's lost through the medical crises in her family and what can be gained from the lessons learned before, during, and after these experiences. Since her husband's death in 2004, and he was quite young, he's in his 30s when this happened, 
Um, since her husband's death in 2004, she went on to host Life with Lisa Bradshaw, a radio show that ran for over five years, beginning in 2008, uh, 2008. <laughs> rhyming don't wait and eight. Um, yes. Yeah, so she also authored Big Shoes, a young widowed mother's memoir, um, which I read and it is fantastic. Um, she also founded, as I mentioned, the Don't Wait Project. It is a nonprofit organization committed to raising community awareness about how positive life choices can impact the health and welfare of individuals, organizations, and communities. And she has a TEDx talk entitled, What is Your Don't Wait Story? Lisa now hosts a television talk show and travels the country interviewing people who are living their own don't wait story. She also produces webinars, trainings, and breakout sessions on what she has termed empathetic healthcare practices. Her work as a patient advocate educator has, has been endorsed by leading physicians throughout the country. She's been a guest on national television and radio. Her, store's been, her story has been featured in multiple print media outlets and online, including Oprah.com, The Rachel Ray Show, Oprah Radio, InStyle Parents, Positive Impact Magazine, The Good Life, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Power Moms, and more. Um, you can find out more about her as well as the project. I'm going to give you the two websites. They both link to each other. So if you don't get one, you can find her or the project through the other. They are lisa-bradshaw.com and don'twaitproject.com. That's lisa-bradshaw.com as well as don'twaitproject.com. Lisa, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Goodness, thank you. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Hi, morning. Um, yeah, I was telling you before we went on air, you know, that each element of your story in your life could be a full show or more. And we have so many things to choose from here. And I was wondering when I was preparing the material, where do we even begin? Um, so I actually, knowing that you are a veteran broadcaster, knowing, you know, you've got your own <laughs> TV show, you know, where do you, where do you want to begin with this, Lisa? Cause I mean, I can, I'm happy to do the heavy lifting, but I would love to see where you like to take off from knowing all that you have to share. <laughs> um, you know what you pick. Okay. You've read the book. You're informed. You, you, you choose. You, okay. You, you choose. Okay. Well, that sounds good. So, uh, when I read your book, um, and you also um, available on your website is the prologue. You you are uh, it's like an audio version of the prologue of the book. And so not only did I listen to that, but then when I reread it, this really stuck out to me. And because KKNW is a pretty spiritually minded um, radio station, um, the parts of your story that I was so drawn to were the parts that really involved your connection with the divine and your communication with your um, husband, Wesley, after he transitioned. Um, and so I, I would love to start with the scene because I feel like it kind of frames up your whole life. The scene in a tree at eight years old. Can you tell us what happened then and how that relates to what we're talking about today? Sure, sure. When I was eight years old, uh, so I grew up in a, on a, not a fancy cul-de-sac, but a dead end street. And, <laughs> you know, all of us kids played till late in the night and we had to stay in the distance of our neighbor who could whistle for us. And, and Wesley, my late husband was my neighbor. And so I was eight years old when I met him. I was eight years old when I got my first typewriter. And I was about eight years old when I saw the movie Rocky and all of those things influenced me as a storyteller. I just didn't know it yet. And I had climbed the tree, you know, there were always kids around to play with and for whatever reason there wasn't that day. And I just climbed the tree and I had started following my neighbors to church and started really asking questions of God and trying to understand my place in the world. And I can't explain it other than to know to say that I knew I had a purpose and we all do, but there was this feeling even at that age that I chose to be born and that my life would be arduous, but equally rewarding. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that I would you know, have cancer in my twenties or lose my husband in my thirties and be a single widowed mom for the last you know, 16 years now. But something happened that day that at least gave me insight that I'd shown up and signed up for this, knowing that life might be hard sometimes. And that's really when it started for me. And I, the first time I saw Wesley, he was playing football in the front yard with my brother and his friends. And I was eight and he was 10. And I just knew he'd be important. Again, I didn't know we'd grow up and get married and have our only child together. But 
But I think eight years old was a pretty pivotal time for me. Was this a memory that stuck with you as you were growing, developing and becoming an adult and marrying Wesley and all the things that ensued? Or was this something that when you were reflecting back, you remembered all of a sudden that had happened? No, it was always with me. Always. It, it, it gave me, uh, in, in fact, I mean, even when, when, the, when the tribulation started in my life, I tried to remind myself. And so when I got cancer and I got better and I wrote a book and I felt like I helped people through their own cancer experience being so young and facing the risk of infertility and newly married, um, I remember thinking, okay, well, I got to find the balance in this. And since I didn't die and I was able to help people and I learned such great lessons from it, life-changing lessons, I thought, okay, there's the balance. So when Wesley died, I tried to maneuver with that in mind, but it took me probably a decade to start to find some kind of balance to, to all that had been lost because that was very different because he died and because I now was the mother of our father, the son. And so that, that to this day is still you know, kind of this gaping wound that, that will never completely heal. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very evident in your story that you can hold that and you can also hold the hope, the promise, the love that you have in your life now and all the other things. It's not like it's mutually exclusive. Right. I think it's expanded. I mean, I understand how, how big love is because mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't make me incapable of loving while I'm still living, loving someone else, but I couldn't share my life with anyone who can't understand that I'm always going to love Wesley too. And I think yeah. that makes me a better person. I think it makes me a, a more loving person. I've, I know what I have to give and I understand that love really is boundless. Yes. So you mentioned, of course, you, you, your cancer journey, um, which again, that's the, that could be a whole nother show in and of itself, but um, that happened when you were 24 and then you, um, you were newly married. Um, you of course came out the other side of cancer, went on to have your only son Hunter. And then do you mind sharing, um, a bit about what happened with Wesley and, and what that journey was like for you? Well, we had Hunter, we'd waited, we'd planned to wait about five years to have a child. And that was really to Wesley's adamance because his parents had divorced and he wanted to just give us a solid bit of time to, to lay a foundation for our marriage and relationship. And we didn't know that cancer would be part of that waiting because we waited, they told us to wait a year, two years to, we waited two, two, a year or two would be better. We waited literally two years to the day and started trying to have Hunter and found out in three weeks I was pregnant <laughs> thinking, you know, this might not happen. And it did. Yeah. So we were kind of trotting along and this life we'd created with this healthy, wonderful little boy. And it was the week of his fourth birthday. And that was about the time we thought we'd start trying for another when he was four. And uh, we were doing our normal every day or every year cleaning of the yard. And we lived in Texas and it's mild winter. And he was outside cleaning an old cabinet in the garage that had some mold and droppings and a bag of fertilizer. And we hadn't ever really touched that cabinet. And he complained of shortness of breath that day. And within a month he was hospitalized and on oxygen within a year, exactly a year to that date after multiple hospital stays, uh, he received a double lung transplant and he died six weeks later. And it, it turned out he had an underlying disease that may or may not have ever presented itself. Someone else cleaning the garage may have been just fine. We'll never know. But we fought really hard for his life. And, you know, it was we've been relocated to another city and state for, to get on a list for the transplant. And if they turned us down, we were going to pack the U-Haul, U-Haul up again and head to the next state. Uh, we were just determined. It was kind of the three of us against the world for a good a bit of time. And so, you know, I've learned so much, you know, in the beginning, I felt like I didn't want the people who donated their loved one's lungs to us to feel like they wasted them because he didn't really survive it. Mm-hmm. He never got out of the ICU. But I've learned that 
organ donation and any other situation that you sign up for to try to save your life, whether it's cancer or treatment that I chose or the transplant that Wesley chose, it's, it's really about the trying. And so, you know, our son was five when his dad died and he's lived the whole rest of his life knowing how, how much his dad tried to stay. And mm. I think that that has been a focus that has enabled me to move forward and knowing you know, we didn't leave any stone unturned. Yeah, and that is one thing that comes through not only in your intense, passionate, courageous advocacy all along the way. I just have to say, if anyone out there is is um, going through something medically, well, like really anything, I Lisa, I just ha- there's a theme throughout all of your story, not just around Wesley, but all of it, that you are like a zealous advocate for whatever you are working on. You are not afraid to ask for what you need or for what will make the situation better. Like the, just looking at your history, I just am curious, you know, and you can talk about it in whatever, whether it relates to, you know, you approaching the set director on friends to have your (laughs) pillows placed there or zealously advocating for Wesley during his treatment and making sure that the right staff were assigned to him and that you were going to, like you said, pack up the U-Haul and go until you got a yes. Like, where does that come from? Like, how do you have the cojones to do that? Well, I guess I learned, I don't know. I, I just am not afraid of a no. You know, <laughs> when, when I wrote my first book, the agent, uh, my agent, I had her send me every rejection and she hated it. I mean, this is before email. She literally had to put them in the mail and send them to me. Why and did we you got do that? so many. Well, because I knew that I knew that even the greatest writers had so many rejections before they got their yes. Uh So to me, every no was closer to a yes. And Mm. so she physically mailed them to me. And we got so many that she finally said, I'm only mailing them once a week. (laughs) (laughs) So many. But as it turned out, one of the rejections said, we aren't doing a book like this this year, or we already have or whatever the case was. But this other publisher Uh, might be interested. And that is the publisher that ended up publishing the book. So, you know, that no turned into a yes. And then with the friends thing, I didn't know that there were companies lining up to for set placement when the baby Emma was born. I just thought it might look good on the set. And and in that time, you could pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, do you want to look at this? So, but I will say this, uh, one of the projects that I'm working on in the near future is my third book called The Place of Peace. And it's the subtitle is How Surviving Cancer and Navigating My Husband's Death Helped Save My Mother's Life. Mm. Because my mom became very ill five years ago and she was misdiagnosed and it was a whole long ordeal. I was actually, it was a very short ordeal. About, and within three months, she was 90 pounds and we were told she had a couple days to live. And we fought like mad. Um, and I had a very confrontational moment with her um, present at the time doctor in the hallway and I just thought you know my parents have been married for 48 years and this isn't how it ends we, we need we need to get her moved and we got her moved that day and by the next morning the new hospital uh, knew exactly what was wrong and how to fix her it just took us six months to get her strong enough for everything that had to be done I would not have known how to do that uh, in, in my family we all work together to get her well and she's doing well and 70 years old now and just celebrated her 70th birthday. There's no way I would have known how to advocate for her that way if I hadn't not only gone through what I went through with Wesley and my illness, but paid attention and learned the lessons that were coming to me. There's just no way. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah that's kind of when I started to feel like, you know, I gave a talk in, in February in San Diego. And one of the things I shared was that you know, that balance that I mentioned earlier that I've been seeking, you know, Wesley would have, you know, done anything to help save my mother's life. He loved her. And knowing that what we went through with him helped save her kind of started to help me feel that balance. And I think it got, it prepared me for writing the song that I just wrote, just kind of feeling these full circle moments along the way. 
Yes. And I actually forwarded that. I'm sure we will notice on the break and I just want to call it out so that people are aware, because if you, um, um, you know, we are a non-commercial radio station in uh, Petaluma. And so I have to be careful. I, and I, I know you're a nonprofit, so we can tell people where to go to download the song. Um, but this, do you, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the song? And then I'll just say, you can find the song. Um, is that one on the don't wait project or your personal website? Lisa, uh, the, the download ability is on don'twaitproject.org. Okay. And yeah, that's where you can download it. You can download it for the normal $1.29 of a download. But if you download and donate, um, we are uh, partnering on that fundraiser with Donate Life America, which is the National Organ Eye and Tissue Donation Registry. Yeah, And, and actually, so we're oh, both God. nonprofits. So we we're partnering on that together. Okay, so I think that should be safe. <laughs> but I yeah. want to just point out that the, after having now, I read your book and then we're poking around on both of the websites. And I did not know this, and I want to bring attention to this while we were talking about this. Um, I have always been an organ donor, um, as noted on my driver's license. But in looking around, I want to encourage anyone out there to just not let it go at that. And Lisa, do you want to share a little bit more about why people might want to register at registerme.org to make it more of a blanket donation. Um, well, I'll let you explain it. You would know better than sure. I. Sure, sure. So your driver's license registration is good. It's it's a binding legal attempt at becoming a donor, and and it would work um, if if something happened to you and your family knew that, that that you were a registered donor. But the registry, and we actually have a link on that page as well. That is a campaign that we're doing. So if, if you if you want to just go to one place, don'twaitproject.org, on that song page it has a link to become a donor, registered donor. And what it is, is that if your license expires or you move to another state or anything goes, you know, if anything gets in the way of that registration, that extra layer of protection and making sure that you're registered is to register on that, or in that national registry. So it's just an added commitment. It's the same, you know, it's, it, but if anything happened with your driver's license, it's just an extra a step of insurance. And it also, you know, is just that extra step you'd take that might also remind you to have that discussion with your family so that there is no question, uh, having been in a situation of losing a loved one, you know, just wanting to know what their wishes are makes, makes that transition that much, that much more peaceful. Yes, yes. And I, I was unaware of the whole national registry. Um, and like Lisa said, if you're interested in, in joining, uh, putting your name there as well, if it's not just on your driver's license, putting it in this national registry, um, you can find that link by going to the don't wait project. Um, dot org website and I did that for me and for my partner Chase oh, this morning <laughs> so yay thank you I'm so, <laughs> no, I'm so happy to know that thank you for bringing that to my attention because you know it's on my Washington license I'm now living in California we may be moving as I'm applying to go back to school so I'm very glad to have that national coverage no matter where we go so let it be known there state it, it publicly yes. I want it all to go <laughs> there you go um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so with the entree to this was the, the song. Um, and um, I, I just, I challenge anyone to watch the YouTube video uh, that accompanies this song and not cry. I was watching it yesterday. Chase walked in and was like, what is happening? I was like, this is my guest tomorrow. Oh my gosh. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the, the song? Yes. Uh, I've just been really enjoying this process. And just for anyone listening, I've tried to learn guitar. I'm not instrumental. I definitely cannot sing. And yet this song was produced. So uh, you just have to surround yourself with people who have skills that you don't. And, um, but in 1992, I lost my grandfather and it was a, our first real big loss in our family. And even though he was 75, it still felt too soon. And I struggled and I thought about him a lot. And I cried all the time when I thought of him. And one day I lived in Houston at the time I just moved to Texas to be with Wesley from California where my family lived. And I was driving down the road and I thought of my grandfather and didn't cry. And it was the first time that I felt joy, uh, just kind of understanding his place in my life and not just feeling the sadness of him being gone. And so I pulled over on the side of the road and I got a napkin out of the glove box and I wrote this 
line down and it is the sad becomes a smile and I find that all the while I was learning to let you go and to me it was just this I thought oh this could be a song but really it just gave me hope and so I put it in the glove box and we had that car all of our marriage um all of our years together Wesley and I because when Hunter was born we about six months later we got a nicer new car and whoever had Hunter drove the nicer new car and whoever didn't drove the old college Honda. And so Wesley usually got stuck driving the old college Honda to and from work. And when he passed away, I sold it. And that napkin was still in the glove box. And <sighs> that line just gave me hope again. And I thought, you know, it, it's probably going to take a lot longer and it'll be more intermittent. But there could come a time when I feel more joy than sadness and carry that napkin around all these years and really gained a lot of strength from it, from those words. And fast forward to last year when I was on tour for the Don't Wait Project, Town Toyota, where I live here in Wenatchee, they sponsor me to go on this tour every year to interview people and find stories, people who are living Don't Wait lives. And I was in Nashville last year and met this wonderful woman, Wendy Moten. It was her debut performance at the Grand Ole Opry. And my besties had flown in from Washington to to go you know, to spend the weekend in Nashville with me while we filmed and a cinematographer traveled with me. And I ended up meeting her life partner, David Santos, uh, through our connection. And I said, hey, you guys, I know you're home. You're not touring. What, what would you think of writing this song together? And she said, well, I don't write, but David does. So send him your line. And if he likes it, he'll, he'll get back to you, but it might take him a bit. I said, okay. And I texted him the line and he texted me back in like 10 minutes. And we were off rolling just from that one verse that I sent him. And uh, within a month's time, because Nashville's a little quiet right now, uh, we, we had written the song. He gave me full uh, freedom with the lyrics. And I, I can't believe it, but I came up with the melody too. I didn't know I had the ability. <laughs> and he just paired it up with the most beautiful music. And it's fun because, you know, so Denny Hemmingson, who plays steel guitar for Tim McGraw, he did the, the guitar for the song. And a man named Jimmy Nichols, who's the music director for Fifth Hill, he did the piano and keyboards. And then a man named Peter Young uh, did the mix and, and mastering. And then David and I wrote the song together. And, you know, everyone's kind of home, right? So yeah. they just said, sure, we love the story. We, we like the song. Let's, we'll do it for you. So within a month, um, we found a vocalist too, and turns out she sent us a video after she finished doing her recording and thanked us for including her because she'd lost her parents at a young age. Mm. We didn't even know that when we chose her voice. So it just all came together. One of the most serendipitous experiences of my life, God in every part of it. Mm. And I feel like it's, it's like, it's the, it's maybe the best words I've ever used ever um I, I made sure because you know a song is so much different than a 382 page book I made sure every line mattered you know yeah. there was a time going into the recording when I just didn't love the second verse and I mm -hmm. needed to love every word and so I took an extra weekend and I said let's not record till Monday and and I came up with what the second verse is now so a labor of love for sure and uh 28 years in the making so it's called This Beautiful Life. And I, I'm so grateful to David Santos in Nashville for, I could not have made, brought that to fruition without him. No doubt yeah. about it. I mean, my gosh, when I read the heavy hitters that had contributed, been collaborators on this, and then to, to know that it has just been released November 24th here in 2020. And that was Wesley's birthday, correct? Yes. And, yeah. you know, since you've read the book, this is, I haven't really shared this publicly, but I, I feel compelled. So you read the book and how the numbers 555 just stood out and they still do uh, where Wesley's concerned. And we all kind of think, we all kind of, I don't know, a lot of people who lose someone, they they want the sign. They want to know that the person's still here somewhere. And and there's a whole story behind the number 555. And it's, 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 it's the time on the watch that went on off on Wesley's watch when I was wearing it after he died. And I don't know why the alarm was set to that because he was in the ICU for six weeks. There was no alarm for his watch. So it all kind of lends from there. And so I scheduled the song release. We did a big live with Donate Life America on Facebook. And it, I scheduled it for his birthday at 5.55. Mm. 
Well, I have a very close cousin who knew Wesley growing up too, and she'll she'll see 555 on her phone or different things, and the people closest to us in our family recognize it as well, and she'll just send me a text and things, and well, she couldn't get on the live because she was coming, I believe, home from work, and there was a car in front of her, and she sent me a picture um, of it that he, that Washington plates and it was around a little after six. It was during the live that we were doing about the song. Washington plates and the only thing on those plates was the number 555. Yep. And I was like, okay, so let's just assume that he was looking for a way to let me know that that he knows I wrote this song and he's here tonight. So far fetched yeah. for some people, not for me. And um, it really made my night. Yeah, it's, it's not for this audience, Lisa. And I have to tell you, sorry. Um, so those who've listened to my show for a long time, um, know that, um, my ex-husband who, um, we developed, I mean, a much more beautiful relationship post-divorce than we did while we were married. Um, we did not make good romantic partners. We made good, um, loving life partners to support each other in other endeavors. And he passed away in 2018 Hmm. and he made himself known to me through 555 as well, because no way. we wow. used to live at 555 West 5th Street in Austin, wow. Texas. Mm. And I was really hurting um, after his passing, which was unexpected um, in many ways. And uh, I asked him to please show me that he was with me. And Uh, I was driving in the car and approaching a light. And I said, Rob, I need to know that you're still around. And the car in front of me moved out of the way. I pull up to the stoplight behind a new car. And there is the triple digit on the license plate, along with three bumper stickers that epitomized Rob so perfectly. Like my dog is a Democrat. My child has four paws. And it was like (laughs) dog dad or something. And it was just like, it was so him. And so 555 in our house, my, my current partner, love of my life, Chase, like your current husband, makes plenty of room for Rob to still be a part of our life. And so when we see 555 in our house, we all say, hey, Rob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so That happened to us just last night. I, w- I was making dinner or we were in the kitchen and, and Ned said, oh, it's 555. And I look, I go, it's 556. He goes, well, then your clock's wrong because I just saw 555. <laughs> And so, you know, just that little moment that's just acknowledging and, um, you know, the people closest to him to know that and uh, they find comfort in it. So, I mean, I just, it is what has brought me the comfort just knowing that um, it's just a thin veil between he and I. And that's, that's all that, that's all that there is. Yeah. And it just, it goes to show, I know we're a little bit past our break and I'm not even now that we're on Zoom, let me see if Benny is chatting or anything like that about, but um, I wanted to make sure we actually did take a break today. Sometimes we skip because I would love for people to be able to hear um, this beautiful life, the song um, coming in and out of the break. And we'll play it again at the end of the show. As long as that still works. I think Benny, Benny is usually on it. Um, but um, I'll just say that before we do take that break, one of the things that just continues to blow my mind about how um, just, it, it, it really does literally blow my human mind to think how God works and how the divine tapestry comes together behind the veil that could use a book even like yours. As I was reading it, I felt as if there were certain lines in it, and I can share those with you sometime, but I, that it felt like Rob and the universe was speaking directly to me through your book because certain phrases or the 555, when I read that, I just started crying. And I thought, isn't it funny that this was can be not only meaningful and the way that Wesley communicates with Lisa, but also a nod to me while I'm reading it because that is my number with Rob. So uh, anyway, yeah, I don't, none of this stuff is far-fetched for our audience, Lisa. This is, this Good. is how we live at KKNW. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Well, I'm um, sorry for your loss, but I'm, I'm glad that you were able to find some comfort in words that I wrote, you know, nine, 10 years ago. So, yeah, yeah, that it is. It'll just it, it the, the comfort continues to keep coming, as I'm sure it does for you as well, as long as we're open to those messages and signs. 
Um, yeah, so Benny, I know we're pretty late on our break, but maybe we can take a super short one so we can hear uh, Lisa's beautiful song. And then when we come back, I, I actually want to dive into some of the, the first time Wesley actually contacted you after his passing. Um, that was such a beautiful story. So um, you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. Um, I am joined today by Lisa Bradshaw. We were talking about uh, the book that she wrote after her husband's passing, uh, Big Shoes, A Young Widowed Mother's Memoir. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that story, as well as the Don't Wait project that she founded, which is what she is uh, passionately, actively working on these days. Um, and you'll learn more about it when we come back from the break. See you in just a few. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazarus, and this is Climate Connections. As the weather gets colder, Carmen Fernholz of Minnesota enjoys looking out at his fields of Kernza. This wheatgrass is a perennial, which means it overwinters and comes back in spring. It's so nice to see some green fields late into November and December and early again in March and April. Kernza grows chest high, with roots that can extend nearly 10 feet below ground. So over time, it helps build soil carbon, improve soil health, and reduce runoff. We look at increased rains that we're getting even in western Minnesota. We've got a way to take care of that extra precipitation all the better. And Kernza can provide farmers with two crops, forage for livestock, and a grain that can be used in cereal and other foods. So it's promising, but new. Fernholtz is growing a small amount and giving feedback to researchers. He says his main concern is figuring out how to keep yields up over time. But he says growing Kernza for a few years between other crops will improve his soil. And so by utilizing the Kernza, it's just going to make that field much better for my major revenue crops of corn and soybeans. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Norm with your health tip of the day from the African American Wellness Project. While coronavirus infections could go down over the next few months, we're still headed into flu season. Millions of Americans will be affected by the flu. But the good news is that we do have a safe and effective vaccine. But sadly, too many people go unvaccinated, especially African Americans. For more about flu vaccine, talk to your doctor or visit aawellnessproject.org. Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. It is impossible for me not to hear that. <laughs> Get tears in my eyes. Emotional show today. Oh, so that song is This Beautiful Life, the song that we were just talking about before the break with my fabulous guest today, Lisa Bradshaw, um, song that was just released November 24th here in 2020. And um, we'll, uh, for the podcast uh, show notes, there will be a link where you can go uh, to the website to, um, if you would like to download the song. Um, okay, so Lisa, um, I mentioned before the break, um, one of the stories that was incredibly meaningful to me um, in reading the book was following Wesley's death. Um, you were in, obviously, extreme grief and pain, um, but you had an encounter um, with Wesley. And do you want to share how that first contact happened and what he told you? Sure. I I was, uh, this was a few days. So we had relocated, as I mentioned, to another city and state. And the day that Wesley died, it, we were back in the apartment we'd rented. And he'd been gone, to, you know, in the hospital for the whole six weeks. And I just decided, like, I'm packing up Hunter and we're, we're going home today. Mm -hmm. So walking into our house in Houston was just excruciating uh, without Wesley. And it's all in one day. And so... I spent a couple, you know, friends and family immediately come, food is there, everyone's trying to, you know, keeping Hunter entertained, he'd have moments when he was sad, and then moments where he was just five and playing, and, and um, so I just kept waiting, like, where is Wesley, I don't understand why I'm not feeling him, and I was pretty disenchanted with this whole death thing, right, like, <laughs> yeah. we were supposed to be so connected, where is he, and and this went on for a couple of days. And again, with so much family in the house and so much going on, um, I just felt like I needed, I needed him around. And 
I was, Hunter was busy with family playing Candyland, I think with my brother at the moment and everyone's throughout the house. And I, and I walked into, I made myself sleep in our bedroom that very first night, or I, I thought I might not ever again. And so this is about day three. And I, I walked into our bathroom and I opened the door and I just had this overwhelming feeling that he was in that room. Mm. And I immediately said, where have you been? I've been looking all over for you. Why aren't you helping me? Mm. And um, I haven't talked about this one in a while. I get a little choked up. But he said, um, I've been here the whole time. You're just in too much pain to feel me mm. and to know it. So I immediately just start asking questions and I'm talking out loud. There's no one near our room and I'm standing in the doorway and I have a phone in my hand because it just kept you know, ringing and there are only some people I talked to and others I just didn't have the energy for. And, and uh, he just start, I started asking questions. I was saying, well, I don't understand. You know, he, he was listed for a transplant on a Wednesday and we got the call on Friday <laughs> and that just was kind of unheard of. Yeah. And there was no dry run, they call it, where you, you you know you get a call and then it ends up not being a great match or something goes wrong and you have to go home and it didn't happen and you got to wait for the next try. And so um, I just said, well, I don't understand, you know, how we we got listed so quickly and why that if if you were going to die anyway. And he said it was so we had a chance and so I didn't die in our living room in front of Hunter. And then like just all these answers. Well, how come I, we were able to save me when I was sick, but we couldn't save you? Why, why am I here and you're not? And he said, because Hunter loves us both, but he needs you most. Mm. And it just kept coming. Like I just kept asking question after question and every answer made complete sense to me. And then finally I said, well, I don't, um, I, you know, I kept questioning and questioning. And he said, he stopped me. He said, Lisa, it's just earth. And for as long mm -hmm. as you're on this planet, you won't understand it. So don't waste your time and energy trying. Just live your life. And I didn't know where those words just earth came from. They weren't my own. And if it was God in that bathroom with me, he was brilliant to use Wesley's voice because that's who I wanted to talk to more than anybody. No <laughs> offense to God. But, um, you know, it just happened. And, and then I kind of just stood there and it was quiet. And I wasn't saying anything. I kind of ran out of questions. I had all my answers, all my answers three days after he died. Mm -hmm. And then I said, uh, I, you, I'm not going to leave this room. You're going to have to make something happen for me to leave this room. I can't, I can't walk out of this room. And it was quiet again. And I said, make the phone ring, have Hunter call my name, something. And literally like 20 seconds later, the phone rang and it was my cousin. And she was, you know, reaching out and she said, I've been standing here for five minutes trying to decide if I should call you. And I just couldn't not call you before I went to bed. And I just kind of nodded to the bathroom, wherever Wesley was, and backed out of the room and shut the door. I said I'd leave, and I did. And that was the beginning for me. In fact, I almost called Big Shoes Just Earth. Mm. but um, And I had planned to call it, to, to title it that for all, all the way through until actually toward the end of getting it done, getting it written. And it just changed my pace. It just made it possible for me to know that I can't, I can't waste this time and energy that I could be giving to our son trying to figure out why Wesley died and he wasn't with us anymore it doesn't mean that every day I that I did well with that it just gave me a layer of hope that I wouldn't have had without that experience and if I weren't open to that experience you know if I wouldn't if I weren't open to the idea that there is a possibility that either Wesley can tell me and explain or God can use Wesley or God can tell me and, and I, it just kind of set the pace for me being open to that, to this day, to yeah. this day, to this minute. <laughs> yes. And in your book, while it was written, um, we were talking about that before going on air, you're currently doing a second edition because it was written originally about 10 years ago. And so a lot has happened, but one of the things that, that you write in that book, even back then was that what you could not realize in the grief of losing Leslie was it was more of a beginning than an end for you. And one of those ways that it was a beginning 
is the Don't Wait Project. And I want to make sure we give ample time to talk about the incredible work you are doing with the Don't Wait Project. And when 2021 comes around, you'll be back on the road again with your teardrop campers touring the country, talking to people about their Don't Wait stories. Um, so yeah, what do you want to share about the Don't Wait Project, Lisa? Well, we mentioned Big Shoes. And when I was writing the book the last couple of weeks, I was getting to you know, the finish of that. And I just felt like, you know, here people are going to give 382 pages of their time and energy and empathy to my family's story. And what can I give to them for having spent that time with us? And I woke up at 5.30 in the morning, about two weeks before I finished the book. And I had wanted to start a nonprofit. I, I worked with nonprofits through the radio station that I worked for. I did all the community outreach for all seven stations. And I, I, I thought, well, what if I I woke up at 5.30 in the morning and I thought, what if I could start some kind of movement or at least an idea of getting people to not wait to live their, their lives and, and not a bucket list of things you're going to do in case you're not here tomorrow. Because if I knew I wasn't going to be here tomorrow, I would not be talking to you right now. I'd right. be with my family. <laughs> so let's assume we have a hundred years. What are we doing with that time? And it evolved into the Don't Wait Project. I had community support. I raised the seed money uh, to start the project. And, uh, you know, all it was was an idea on a piece of paper at that time. And now it's become this vehicle for storytelling. We have a program we do in schools throughout the country. I partner with a man named Mike Fierstein in New York, and he he's an educator and filmmaker, and he works with students in school. And now we're doing the program virtually where um, they work on anti-bullying um, education and character development and media literacy and safety. And then we've, I've done some exhibits and we did an exhibit when it was my 20 year survivorship of cancer. And I did a call out and a whole fun thing with all the people in our community who are also cancer survivors. And we have exhibits that tour in our community and just like layers and layers of things that are all about storytelling. And then getting to do this song and go on the tours. And I'm actually got to admit, I'm not taking a teardrop camp camper this year. I'm actually gonna <laughs> Airbnb it because um, <laughs> It's a, we we're literally in a different city every two days, yeah. so it's a lot of packing up, hooking up, unhooking, packing up. You know, so we're just going to drop our bags in an Airbnb, and um, we were traveling this year. The first year I did all the um, northwestern states, and I went by myself. And then the second year I got enough. Uh, Toyota was happy with it, and we got an extra budget for the cinematographer to travel with me, and we did all southern states. And then next year we'll go from St. Louis to Boston. And we have all the stories set. We were actually ready to go in two weeks when the pandemic happened. Yeah. So um, all of those stories will happen hopefully next year. Yes. And so just so people know what I, what uh, the, the two prongs of the Don't Wait Project, or at least the ones that you're still advocating for organ donation registry. Um, Absolutely. And yes. that's the partnership with Donate Life America and, and with the song, This Beautiful Life, we've partnered on the launch of the song. Yes. Yeah. And, and the way that you describe it, the project is not just about the serious side of life, but it is also about doing the things we put off that bring us joy and allow us to get through the responsibilities and burdens life sometimes brings. And one of the things that stood out to me, you've, you've used the term balance in, 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 in describing you know, how you reconcile or how you hold both the deep wound and the grief, while also the hope, the promise, the love that you now experience in your current life post-Wesley, or I shouldn't even say that, he's still very much with you, but just not in human form necessarily. Um, but one of the things that stood out was I, I learned recently um, you know, I think most people are familiar with, or at least have heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's uh, five stages of grief, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. But what recently I learned of was one of her protégés or a protégé of her, David Kessler. Um, I guess this was something that perhaps they were working on before uh, Kubler-Ross's death, but he has continued the work with the blessing of, of her family or the folks who are in charge of her work these days. Um, uh, he wrote a book recently called Finding Meaning, the Sixth Stage of Grief, and he writes that only you can find your own meaning, and I love that this is now part of the model. This is now the sixth stage of grief, the finding the meaning, and I just feel like what you have done exemplifies that you are a living model of that, not just in Big Shoes, the memoir you wrote and knowing the story, but the continuing work that you are doing 
I had so much fun watching these videos there. If you go um, and Lisa, you'll have to remind me which one of your websites it, it's on, but there are little two minute snippets of the people that you interviewed on these stops on this tour. I, I just, the meaning that you are creating and helping others create, like this is doing, this is doing grief and loss in a whole new way. You know, the bottom line is I just couldn't imagine a life without Wesley. So I've just kept him with us. It's just, it's that simple. Mm. Um, so, you know, getting to be, uh, becoming a storyteller, you know, I grew up, I got that first typewriter and corrective ribbon and I, it was, I, I was on my way, right? I still to this day yeah. can't type properly because I got a typewriter <laughs> so young. I tried to take a typing class in high school and quit in a couple of days. Um, and, you know, I just, to get to, I feel really strongly that I'm good with sharing our story and lending it to people if it helps them either better tell their own or live their own. Mm. Because not everyone is going to share their story on a show or in a TED talk or however, you know, we communicate these days, but everyone is sharing their story by living it. So if I can lend our story and it helps somebody else navigate cancer or navigate an illness or navigate a loss or gets them to use the grandma's china instead of keeping it in the cabinet or calling an old friend instead of putting it off, then, then I just think that honors Wesley's life, but it also helps me have that purpose that you're talking about. Like, of course, grief, those stages of grief, and they're, they're never in order. They're so intermittent and, and you got to be okay with that, those waves of grief, but to have a purpose that's also aligned with getting to make sure Hunter knows who his dad is, that's, that's the very best I could do. Yeah. And since you bring up Hunter, I know we're getting close to the end of the show, but one of the things that um, just really stood out since we were talking earlier about how Wesley has made his presence known since his passing Hunter started seeing him immediately. And of course, this is with the innocence of a child. No one had told him he should be looking for him or that he would see him. He was just like, oh, there he is. And, and I think that this is a quote from the book that that this is the little boy. I mean, he must have been, what was he like, five or six when he, he five, said this? Yeah. He just yeah. turned five. Yeah. And he said, he split in half. God took his soul, but his invisible spirit stayed here with us. Um, do you want to share just, I mean, I know we've got just like a minute or two left, but how that happened, how he would see him? Uh, you know, Hunter, he's 21 now and he's, he's my favorite person and he's really bright and has always been articulate and just gets it old so long before he lost his father. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't surprising to me that Hunter would one, have those feelings, but two, have the ability to articulate them. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it started one day when he was tying his shoes and we were getting ready to go to the park. And so when we walked to the park, after he said that, we had a whole conversation that his dad is here with him the rest of his life, and he can talk to and about his father anytime. Um, there is a part in the book where I kind of made a rule for myself that I didn't cry when Wesley or when Hunter talked about Wesley, definitely cried about Wesley, but, you know, Hunter just had to have the freedom to talk about his dad whenever he wanted and not make his mom cry. Right. And so we just had many moments like that throughout his childhood and still do where, you know, he's forgotten a lot. He's lost a lot over the years, right? Because he was so young. But the essence of who his father was and still is in our lives is is here like it was that day. Yeah. So I, I just think it comes from him, you know, making sure he knew that, you know, this is, this is how death works. I don't have all the answers, but there's just no way that your dad is suddenly gone and we have no access to him ever again. He's yeah. with us if we keep him here. So yeah. And you have, you have kept him here in so many ways. Um, and the Don't Wait Project is just one of the many. Um, to find out more, you can visit Lisa's websites. That is lisa-bradshaw.com. That's lisa-bradshaw.com. Or the Don't Wait Project. Don't Wait Project. Uh, is that don'twaitproject.org? It's .org, yes. Or, yes, yes. Sorry, I started to say com. Okay, yes, don'twaitproject.org. Lisa, thank you so much for having been here today and sharing this story. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. You're, um, thanks for reading the book and supporting the song and just for having me here. I, um, you brought up some things I haven't thought about in a long time. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for listening. This is your host, Sunny Joy, signing off. See you next week.